Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, the SCIU and its allies hit McDonald's for sexual harassment, while one of SCIU's most powerful local unions looks at to promote an officer accused of sexual harassment. A board member of the establishment liberal think tank Center for American Progress continues to promote conspiracy theories about the 2018 midterm elections, and the Washington Post is shocked, shocked, to find a conservative activist conducting conservative advocacy. The Service Employees International Union, the SEIU, teamed up with a number of liberal groups through its long-standing McDonald's unionization campaign, known as Fight for 15, to protest McDonald's handling of sexual harassment complaints. At the same time, one of the SEIU's most powerful local unions, 1199 SEIU, once accurately called, quote, the union that rules New York, is seeking to promote an official accused of sexual harassment. The anti-McDonald's complaints are part and parcel of the SEIU's now seven-year corporate campaign against the restaurant chain. We can see this because the EEOC complaints filed by the SEIU-backed Fight for 15 seek to have the government declare corporate McDonald's a joint employer with its franchisees, which the union sees as a key step towards unionizing all McDonald's stores. Some left-wing women's advocacy groups involved in the complaints, among them the National Women's Law Center, have received funding from the SEIU. But meanwhile... 1199 SEIU, perhaps the SEIU's most influential local union, which represents healthcare industry workers in New York and the Northeast United States, is holding elections for its officers. And one of the 12 candidates for the 12 vice president slots, de facto unopposed candidates then, is Tyrek Lee, who had previously been an executive vice president and the local's most senior officer in Massachusetts before he was demoted. And for what was Mr. Lee demoted, you ask? According to the Boston Globe, the union demoted him for violating its sexual harassment policies. No, seriously. And George Gresham, 1199's president, endorsed Mr. Lee for election to a vice presidency, saying in a statement, quote, Based on Lee's growth and contributions, he was selected to run as a candidate for vice president at large, and his union's sisters and brothers elected him into this new role. 1199 SCIU believes in a pathway for growth and redemption for all. Close quote. Now, Some 1199 SEIU employees had a different view, telling the Globe that Lee's promotion sent the wrong message. One said, quote, If anything happens to me, I'm on my own. I probably won't be believed, won't be supported, if I were harassed. With a powerful division of the SEIU ready to promote an alleged harasser it had previously sanctioned, one can only wonder how sincere the union's commitment to, quote, Me Too actually is. Stacey Abrams lost the 2018 Georgia gubernatorial election to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The counties of Georgia certified their votes, and Brian Kemp was inaugurated as governor. Abrams' campaign was as dead as a doornail. But don't tell her that, or the audience at the Center for American Progress, the Democratic establishment-aligned think tank on whose board Abrams sits, because she says that she won using identity politics. Since her defeat by 55,000 votes in the highest turnout gubernatorial election in Georgia's history, Adams has waged a campaign to delegitimize elections in the United States, at one point saying the Democrats, quote, don't have to concede elections anymore because when we concede, we are condoning systems that are used to oppress us. By giving her a seat on the Center for American Progress board and inviting her to spread her conspiracy theories from their podium, Cap, whose president Neera Tandon was allegedly slated to be a cabinet secretary in a prospective Hillary Clinton administration, is legitimizing the very sort of norm destruction that progressives, among them Abrams herself, said would come by the mere possibility that then-candidate Donald Trump would not concede his supposedly inevitable defeat. 
to get an idea how conspiratorial this can be, at a conference put on by the liberal foreign policy group National Security Action, Abrams warned, quote, that we will be having a very different conversation, possibly in Russian, in 2030, if Democratic-backed electoral changes were not adopted. We must also turn to the press, which has shamefully failed to hold Abrams' dangerous assertions to the same account they hold those of President Trump for his farcical claims that he won the constitutionally meaningless popular vote in 2016 because reasons. The press has mostly correctly held President Trump to account for misleading statements regarding the scale of voter fraud. Come on, if there were massive voter fraud in the 2016 election, how did Trump, you know, win? without which the president claims he would have overturned Hillary Clinton's 3 million ballot margin in the 2016 popular vote. Meanwhile, Abrams' claims, like the idea that Georgia's periodic removal from the election rolls of the dead, people who lost voting rights due to felony convictions, and people who moved out of state constitutes nefarious voter suppression, are largely allowed to sit unexamined, undermining confidence in election integrity and the democratic process. About the closest one of these left-of-center fact-checkers has come to countering Abrams, was PolitiFact quoting a University of California Irvine professor arguing, quote, I have seen no good evidence that the suppressive effects of strict voting and registration laws affected the outcome of the governor's races in Georgia and Florida. When it was Trump impugning the general freeness and fairness of American elections, the great and good, and many on the right of center as well, saw the potential consequences of groundless delegitimization of elections. Now that Abrams is doing so with the imprimatur of cap, defending norms is lonely indeed. And finally for this week, the Washington Post finds it highly nefarious that conservative legal activist Leonard Leo is an effective conservative advocate. Leo is the sometime executive vice president of the Originalist Lawyers Association, the Federalist Society, and perhaps more irritatingly to the Post, a sometime advisor to President Trump on judicial nominations. His success makes him, quote, the maestro of a network of interlocking nonprofits working on media campaigns and other initiatives to sway lawmakers by generating public support for conservative judges in the eyes of the democracy dies in darkness types. Leo's groups have raised money in alignment with federal regulations and the Supreme Court decision in NAACP v. Alabama in order to conduct advocacy without disclosing their donors. Some of the groups even hire the same PR firm. Well, hurrah. In short, the Post piece is a nothing burger dressed up in liberal framing language. Of course, what the Post story also says is that Leo and his organizations are effective advocates for originalist legal policies. And not even the Post could identify a violation of law or regulation in its piece, which relied in part on tax filings by groups associated with Leo. And that raises an interesting point, because Leo is far from the only activist in the judicial nomination space. Brian Fallon, late of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, heads up Demand Justice, which appears on its face to be a campaign group much like the Leo-associated Judicial Crisis Network. But advocating against originalist conservative justice isn't in favor of down-the-party-line progressive judges, even to the point of advocating packing the Supreme Court by increasing the number of justices. But while JCN has tax forms for liberal muckrakers to turn into dark stories, Demand Justice doesn't. Its form of organization as a fiscally-sponsored project of liberal dark money group 1630 Fund means it doesn't file its own tax returns, with declarations of its highly paid employees' salaries or independent contractors. 1630 Fund's returns show that the group is administered by Arabella Advisors, a left-of-center philanthropic consultancy associated with a network of at least 340 entities and projects. 
So if the Posties are really concerned about big money and dark shadows, and not the fact that Leonard Leo is an effective advocate for a judiciary restrained by the original public meaning of laws, rather than whatever emanations and penumbras the liberalism of the current year needs at any given moment, perhaps they should take a look at the shadows behind Demand Justice and Arabella Advisors, starting with Capital Research Center's report on the group. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.